it was a problem that I wanted to solve that I saw around me, you know, really smart young people working, you know, I don't know, 15 hours, 18 hours days, and they were eating crappy stuff. <laughs> You're listening to Foodie Canteen. I'm your host, Castle Lin. In this podcast, I sit down with Southeast Asia's leaders, entrepreneurs, and content creators in the FMB space. This is where you'll learn about their trade secrets, or maybe you'll just find them as your next door neighbor. This show is supported by Good Foodie Media. For foodies who want to connect to the world through food, they curate the best spots to eat and drink in Malaysia, Bangkok, and Singapore. Check them out on Instagram for more. Today, co-founder of Amazing Grace, Amy Chung, joins me on the show to share everything about the realities of being a female leader and CEO. From working with the UN to combating human trafficking in South India, creating products in her home kitchen, and finally having her brand on the shelves of prominent grocery stores like Village Grocer, Mercato, and Big, Amy is here to tell us the tale of both personal and professional growth. This is part of my life that most people don't know. Um, they all they all think I, you know, I'm, I'm like this fantastic baker <laughs> and I started this from home, which is, yeah. you know, half of it is true. I did start this from home, but I'm not a fantastic baker. Um, yeah, I guess it came from like a sense of my parents were immigrants to Australia. And so I really got the sense of, you know, like it's not weird to move. It's not weird to go and explore the world. And I was always a wild child, right? So I was curious. And I think to be, to, to be an entrepreneur, to to create your own business, you have to be really, really curious. You want, you have to be wondering what's out there and, and what what's new. Um, and so, yeah, so I kind of just dabbled in everything that came my way. I was very passionate about um, culture. I was passionate about doing the right thing. And so prison reform, working with the UN and World Bank um, and volunteering across, you know, microfinancing organizations in um, Bangladesh and working with, um, you know, hum- you know anti-human trafficking efforts in South India, um, I think it was always a sense of a strong sense of justice and wanting to fight for underdogs. And it could be because like, you know, again, like they keep thinking we're, we're Chinese immigrants in Australia um, and, and we were minorities. And so I knew what I felt like to be a minority um, and that we need to work really, really hard to build our place. And so, yeah, so these, that was the history. Um, before I came to Malaysia, I decided that Malaysia was a vibrant place where I can live in Asia, speak English, you know, most of the time and, and people were really open and accepting. So I never regretted doing that. Um, and, and Amazing Grace was born as a result. And what was the inspiration behind starting Amazing Grace? The inspiration, to be very honest, is it, it, was a, it was a problem that I wanted to solve that I saw around me, you know, really smart young people working, you know, I don't know, 15 hours, 18 hours days, and they were eating crappy stuff. (laughs) (laughs) So true, man. And everyone, and in fact, I looked around more and everyone was eating crappy stuff. You know, it was, doesn't matter how educated you are, how much money you are earning. Um, and, and then I started researching, I was like, okay, well, what, what's diabetes like? What was cardiovascular disease like, you know? And then I guess it, it's no wonder that I think one in three or even up to one in two adults in Malaysia um, have either type one or type two diabetes. Um, a 25% of all deaths are caused by cardiovascular reasons. And so these are all preventable. These are not like, oh, by the way, I got cancer. I mean, arguably even cancer 
is is in a way preventable if you live the right lifestyle um but yeah it was, like, it was just it was just like these are lifestyle choices that we were making or we we didn't know we were making we didn't know the consequence of what we were doing that led to um you know being being obese is not not even like the issue here right people are like oh, obesity pandemic or crisis and i'm like well okay well it is very inconvenient to be you know, obese, I guess, you know, you can't, you can't do as much as you want, but it's the consequence of having high cholesterol, high um, visceral body fat and, and, and just sitting at a desk all day. Um, So, so I I can go on forever. You've just really hit a nerve here. So I really, I really believe that, you know, we needed to change the way we live and eat and eating is the most direct way I can connect with people, you know, in Malaysia, because they love to eat. (laughs) It is a culture that just enjoys the food at a different degree and level that I've ever seen. Yeah, I, I can I can agree more with you on this. Um, and I want to talk a bit about um, the founders. There's three of you in the picture from the early days. How did this team come together and who takes what roles? Mm. Um, and I think this is like one of the best ways for founders to get together. It's usually like a friend of a friend. Mm-hmm. Um, so you mm-hmm. knew them, you didn't, you, you know, you, they weren't your direct friends, but you had like social credits that, mm-hmm. you know, social kind of reputation that you can count on. Um, and, and so when I was venturing out and I said, right, I want to do something around this space. I found, I was talking to a lot of people. Yeah. As you probably know, talk a lot. Um, so I ended up like finding people with common interest and that's how we came together. In terms of the roles that we had, I think, um, you know, we, we all played very similar roles in the beginning. Like everybody did everything and that's how a startup even worked in the first place. Yeah. Um, but eventually later on, I think I, I took on more of the strategy and the product role. Um, I was really into marketing. Um, the other one, Sabrina took on operations. She really knew, you know, uh, what, what inputs and outputs and got the got the processes together and made sure we were producing at the right quality at the right quantity um and chin was like she had she was, she was super artistic she was she was very creative so she did a lot of our social media um she was doing some sales she took the photos and we were but we were all doing everything you know there wasn't like i just did do this and you do this and we don't we don't intersect it, it, that wasn't possible mm. And Amazing Grace started from home, right? Like, was it directly to online markets? Like, how were the early days like up until today? Yep, yep. So for those of you out there who who are, you know, creating something from your home, it's a very encouraging story to see how we did it. Um, we went to the markets first. Mm-hmm. So back then, when before, before pandemic, um, there were always weekend markets at Publica, at Bangsa, Hatamas, yeah. whatnot. Um, and we just took that opportunity to go, well, you know, this is the best way to meet customers. This is the best way to test your products and see if people will be, you know, willing to pay money for this. Um, no, your friends aren't going to tell you that your product's crap. <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> They're too nice. They don't want to hurt your feelings. Yeah, they want to um, be like they- the encourager, you know. That's right. That's right. So, so they, they, they don't want to offend you. So the only way you can find out whether, whether you have a market for your product is to sell it to strangers who have no social obligations to buy it from you. Um, so, so I think from then on, people are like, well, you know, if we wanted to buy this, where do we go? And so that's when we set up our online store. Um, and and we, we started, you know, um, selling online and I was doing our deliveries because I was so curious who's buying this online. I mean, who would do this? <laughs> um, and so it was really great 
great meeting our first few customers who are like, oh, this is how I heard of you. And um, yeah, yeah. So, so that's how we got started. And when was the first big break? The first big break. Oh, okay. Um, I would say definitely our one of our first markets in Bangsa Park, the shopping center, was a, a very um, affirmative occasion for us. So you know, it was our second market or something, and we were we baked like crazy, and we had about 600 individual packets of granola and nut mixes and we sold out of everything in, in three days. Right. Um, and that was really encouraging because we're like, wow, people really like this. People were buying this. Um, so I thought that was like the first affirmative milestone. And then our second big break, I, I guess would be probably getting our products into um, Ben's independent grocer. So big, uh, you know, no, and, and I was, we're always thankful that these guys gave us a chance. Um, we were nobody. We didn't even know how to do packaging. Um, and, and they they eventually gave us a chance to put our products on the shelf. So that was a very proud moment. And that was like six years ago, you guys started in 2015. Now you guys have expanded to several countries like Australia, US and Singapore. What do you think is the secret behind Amazing Grace's products and their popularity? Yeah, I think, you know, our DNA is one where we really want to be fun and nutritious and, um, you know, delightful. So the problem that we always saw with, with health food was that, you know, people would tease people who want to be healthy and say, you're just being a rabbit or you're really not living your life to the fullest or you look, you only live once. You might as well just eat burgers all day. <laughs> right. Um, so, so that was like, I wanted to change. We wanted to change that perception. Like, no, you can live healthy and still be happy and, and have great food, right? No one said eating healthy food is supposed to be draconian. Um, so that was really important. So I think we really found the intersection between healthy and delicious and fun. Um, so people were really excited, um, getting our products and making their breakfast and, you know, decorating it with fruits and nuts and the variety of what they're getting, the flavors. We really try to be, um, as local or pushing the culinary boundaries as much as possible. I mean, everyone just was so used to plain oats, you know, or just, apple flavored cereals. Um, and every, every single brand that was brought in had the same flavors. It was raspberry, it was apple, it was maybe chocolate and banana. And that's all you got. I mean, it just, I was like, wait a minute, we have so much more flavors and so much more ingredients and, and exciting things that people were eating every day. Why can't we incorporate that, um, into, into healthy whole grains and nuts and foods that, you know, was good for planet and good for us. Um, so, so I think that's a secret. It's, it's just that simple, right? Like make people feel good about eating healthy. And talk about flavors, like, um, like you said, Asian food. Um, we, it's very flavorful. It's very delicious. And certainly, um, when we eat something delicious, is high on the list. While healthy is likely very low. For example, classic flavors, flavors like gula melaka. It has a high sugar content. How do you adapt these Asian flavors and make them healthier in your products? Yeah, really glad you asked. Um, so gula melaka is is a great ingredient. Like there's so much history and and lo local influence, and the way that's made is insanely like laborious, you know. So and and the and the ingredient itself, the sugar that's derived from that palm tree is actually nutritious, and it's not all bad. So again, I'm 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 hesitant, or I 
I'm not very sure about this current trend of everyone saying, oh, no sugar, sugar's evil, or carbs are evil, or, or oil is evil, or fat is evil. I think, look, we've all gone a little bit crazy with just demonizing particular nutrients, right? But in the right amount, in the right um, uh, uh, integration ingredient process, you end up getting this wonderful product that is that that is delicious, but also in the moderation that you know your body's got to be happy with. Um, so so yeah, so it's it's not about saying no sugar, no carbs, or anything. It's about saying, well, let's incorporate the deliciousness of life, and and use that in ways that people are gonna feel good and love it and be good for them, um, and not demonize everything because. That's not the way to live. Um, and, and you will just get tired of this like zero sugar, zero carb life after a while and start binging. <laughs> I love that. You'll it's binge like one day. enjoying yeah. healthy food and not limiting yourself at the same time you feel good about it. And That's actually, right. That's right. And appreciate it. Yeah, That's and right. Actually, like uh, we had a conversation before the interview. You said that women uh, there's a research that women love snacks and that's how you guys came out with like you know what let's do this healthy snacks for for the people yeah yeah so so really interestingly our mood and our desire for food and beverage changes throughout the day um in the morning not surprisingly we are feeling like hey i want to start my day right i want a good breakfast or drink or whatever cereal it is that i can feel good about myself and a few hours after that maybe eight hours after that you know you 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 post lunch three or four p.m or five p.m even you start feeling tired and you probably have a lot of stress in your life and that's when men and women, I would mm-hmm. say, start looking for something to comfort themselves, right? They, they get, they may get peckish, but instead of choosing a fruit or choosing like something more wholesome, they, they're like, I need to de-stress and reward myself by, by, you know, smashing down this entire <laughs> chocolate bar. Uh-huh. Um, so, so it's real, right? And we're not saying don't be stressed. We're saying mm-hmm. we understand you do get stressed. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's real. Um, but instead of like this chocolate bar, this bag of chips here's an alternative that makes you still feel good about eating it but it's not going to be um, damaging for you or it's not going to give you too much sugar and calories so can you take us through the creative process of creating the products at amazing grace like how do you know which flavors to go for it may be trend or maybe something that you like or it's based on researched Yep. Um, I think as a startup or as a, as a still a younger company that is founder led, you'll definitely find that the, the people that the founders will have a huge influence on, mm-hmm. on the creative process. Yeah. Uh, and, and, and that's actually not replicable and ideally shouldn't be replicable because it, it is influenced by the philosophy, like our values and our philosophy about what's good tasting and what's um, what's exciting. Right. So, and that's, changes a lot. So I guess having the opportunity to have gone around the world and lived around the world and, uh, you know, shuttle between Australia, Malaysia and Singapore and, and other countries, I do get 
excited and I see a very wide range of trendy, you know, flavors and ingredients and it's always inspiring, right? And I think in, in our community of, you know, people who want to live healthier, um, they they are also discovering new ingredients. And, and I guess no thanks to the big food companies who are, you know, kind of dominating our agriculture, who are always, you know, that, that means we only get single grains or, or very few um, varied, you know, variety of grains and fruits and veggies and whatnot, um, we're now trying to broaden that. We're trying. We're now trying to say, well, the world has so much to offer and there is superfoods everywhere for different, um, and they've been there for hundreds and thousands of years. Well, let's bring them back. Let's let's expose more people to these ingredients. And so, yeah, so I think that that is really inspires me to, 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 to um, incorporate that into the creative process. And initially, the products were made um, by you and the co-founders in your home kitchens. As you expand, like, how do you ensure the same um, TLC and homemade goodness quality in now mass-produced products? Yeah, I, look, I think one is our process is still very much, I, I call us a big bakery. Um, you know, we we are still, the, the whole entire process has not changed. Uh, you know, it may be just, you know, from a smaller um, tray to a bigger tray now, mm-hmm. but in terms of how the ingredients are added, how they're mixed and how they're laid on the trays, how they're baked, the way we have to um, pause in the middle and switch the trays in the oven so that it gets evenly baked and that there's variability, right? Like you've got some crispier pit bits in the middle and you've got, you know, other parts around the edges that are a bit different. Um, the color is going to be a bit more variable. Like this is a baked product from an oven. Um, and so, so that's very much still very, very much the same as how we started the, the company. That was Amy Chen. You're listening to Foodie Canteen. After this break, Amy shatters the rose-colored glass and tells us about her failed venture. She also talks about key ingredients to running and maintaining a successful company. This show is supported by Good Foodie Media. For foodies who want to connect to the world through food, that's where you go. Find Penang Foodie, KL Foodie, Halal Foodie, Johor Foodie, Bangkok Foodie and Singapore Foodie on Instagram. They curate the best spots to eat and drink in the cities. I, I love hearing failure stories and I and I have would for forewarn you that this could be one of our like failure stories. Um, we we had the idea, I think, um, about four years ago, and it was really exciting because we're like, okay, there's not everyone's drinking bubble tea. <laughs> you know, and this thing can't be great for you. Um, so we wanted to have like drinks that had a hundred percent um, you know, whole grains and 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 vegetables and fruits and and the fiber was intact and we were using using nut butters and everything like that. So it was okay, but our lesson learned was location was really mm-hmm. important. You do want to be um, in, a, in a place with a lot of footfall. So yeah. unfortunately we did we weren't in a location with a lot of footfall. And secondly, COVID hit. Yeah. Um, and so we were like, okay, this is the last straw. Um, but I, I do I, I, I do want to share that we want to revive a even bigger concept um, when when the economy is doing a little bit, you know, is, is doing, I mean, I think the economy is doing well now, but mm-hmm. even more open than it is now, we want to have like a plant-based food concept and drinks wow. concept. So yeah. nothing wasted. We want to bring that back. Yeah. And like you said, when you go into a new concept or say a market or country, what are some of the factors you and the team consider? Like you said, location was one of the lessons you took away from GLOW, right? 
Yep, yep, absolutely. Um, I think it's important to look at how open up the local market to new things. And that's actually not something a lot of people talk about. Um, but we are so spoiled by being in Asia when everything's developing fast all mm-hmm. the time. And young people, especially young people, are, are just opened to, to new brands, new flavors, new items. But there are countries that are more, more I guess, um, set in their ways. And they're not as open to new things um, because they they just really value tradition. They really value um, the way they've always done things. And so it'll be harder to break into these markets. But having said that, I think if you have authentic branding and you really, you know, have good values for why you're doing what you're doing. You're not just in there to make money, right? Like it's not just about, Hey, is there a profit here? But thinking about, is there people I can benefit in this market? And, and, and if the answer is yes, um, there is a, a, a definitely group of people that we can ben, um, benefit and help and, and, and provide them with great products. Then I think it's viable. So it really depends on who you talk to. If you're talking to a venture capital firm, they'll be like, nah, only big, big markets um, don't want to think about anything else. But again, you know, your reason of starting this business could be very different. You know, you could be like, I'm satisfied with giving a hundred people more value and helping them, you know, as opposed to being so profitable of a, of a billion dollar market and, 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 and say my company's worth X, Y, and Z. Um, so it really comes back to your values. And I think that's something that we need to talk about when we should, we should talk about more. It's not just about how much money you're raising. Talk about values. Do you think your values has evolved compared to when you first started the company and to now when you've grew it to, um, I would say, a couple, like hundreds of employees right now? Uh, I would say my values probably became more clearer. And there was definitely times where your values get challenged um, as well, right? When when difficulties come. Is there a a story that you can tell us? Yeah, it's like story we can tell. Um, It's it's. Like, for example, you know, you have employee issues. You have, mm-hmm. we, we, we run, bake, you know, these huge baking centers and, and, you know, there are employee issues. For example, there are, for example, um, work permit issues for people. And how hard do you fight for these people to remain, um, you know, valid, to have valid working permits and, and remain in this country. Um, and so if you only cared about, for example, profit and you don't care about the welfare of your people, you would make, for example, different choices. And so, you know, the, the, the value question, especially if we are running a business, is always between profit or people. I mean, yes, they can both, they, they can both work together, you know, doesn't mean, pro, you know, no profit, yes, people, yes, people, no profit. Um, but there are times when you need to make that decision. Um, or for example, when, you know, you realize there was product, um, there was a quality issue, we just sent out something that was burnt, right? And then the question is, do you have to recall everything? Um, at that point. And again, it's a, it's a, it's a trade-off between profit and your values towards customers. And, 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 you know, what do you do then? So, so these values do get challenged. I think every time you go through, um, you know, you do strengthen them. Um, and I would say the only way you can have a lasting business is you, is if you have strong values. 
Yeah, that's so good. Profit and people. Um, I want to talk a bit about the company. It's founded and run by women. Um, like you said, uh, we talked before, you said 90% of the company is female and now it's led by Sabrina yourself. What are the advantages and disadvantages have you experienced in this almost all-girls team? Yeah, so wait, 90% is more the management team, mm-hmm. right? So, so the senior managers, I think, you know, we have mostly women, a lot of women, um, and in different departments, it's more um, gender balanced, right? So, so we do have a lot of guys and we treasure them. We're like, you're, you are, you are a protected species in this, <laughs> in this company. We want you to stay. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, so I think the advantages and disadvantages. So I've always worked in very male dominated industries. So I guess I can have some view to that. It will just apply to my experience. Um, I find that we, we value open communication a lot more. I think it's always like guys, you know, let's be vulnerable. Let's not hide anything under the carpet. Um, this is the way things are. Let's talk about it. Right. And we, we, I, I do think there's a lot more discussions and open communication and, and therefore I find that collaboration spirit is really awesome. Um, I think people may typically think that there's a lot of like politics between people and maybe maybe there is some of that i would never say in a 200 plus organization there will be zero politics that's just not possible um but i do think people are 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 careful of each other's feelings you know we're not ruthless uh we take care of each other we take care of each other's feelings um but at the same time we're really ambitious so there's this i reckon this generation of women are 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 at this like crazy level of ambition um because i think maybe we've seen that you know our previous generations our moms and grandparents they 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 didn't have the same opportunity and so we feel like we owe it to ourselves and to this generation intergeneration of people to make the best of our current privilege of 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 being able to choose career and family and and you know, make the best of our lives. So, so I see as a consequence, there's just very driven women. Yep. Yeah. Talk about this generation of women. Like you said, they are um, very driven seeing that um, there are so many women that go before us that are leaders in the marketplace. Um, and I'm sure some of us here um, do think about what it's like to be a CEO of a company. So my question to you is like, what does a day look like for you in the life of the COS um, in Amazing Grace? Yeah. Okay. Well, no one's ever asked me that. Um, so, but I, I like the question. Okay. So on a typical day, uh, a weekday, uh, I would get up probably about, about six thirty seven, and I will actually start walking. Um, I wouldn't pick up the phone. I would actually not my, I try not to check WhatsApp or emails for the first hour of getting up. I usually find myself walking and listening to like this, a podcast. Um, and that's always very helpful to inspire me um, to set, to have the right mindset for the rest of the day, because, you know, it's not about do, 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 do. It's about thinking about what you're doing um, and, and, and being that better person for the whole company. Because I, if I'm just doing you know, everything inside out and and taking that role, that's not a good thing for the company. Um, The company needs me to look five, 10 years ahead and look at things that maybe a lot of people are not thinking about and and being able to provide that 
um, value, I guess, to to each people, to each department and, 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 and personnel within them. Um, so, yes, I wake up, I, I do, you know, I do my walk um, and then I, I, I get a coffee and I start, you know, now it's remote working. So I usually, you know, have a chat with the team or some some meetings with the team. I get I check my emails, I get some work done um, and 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 then I get to maybe sometimes meet a client if back back, back in the days where we can make it meet, meet clients um, and, you you know, I, on a good day, I can also ta- taste some products. So I will go in and people are like, try this, try that. You know, what do you think? And so there's taste testing, which is one of my favorite things to do. And it's really exciting. Um, and then I'll probably have to jump on a call about budget or something around people issues. So, so the different days, there's different department meetings. Um, yeah. And 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 so, so that's probably a typical day or week. Uh, and yeah, I guess I get a bit of flexibility in my day as well. Like I try to make sure that I, I spend time with my family. Um, and, you know, if I need to be at dinner, I'm at dinner uh, and, and work can always continue later. So yes, I don't have a nine to five life, right? It could be working at 11 PM, but that also means I get to do other things during the day that other people may need to be working um, during these days, during those hours. So I get a, a lot of flexibility, which is awesome. So what's next for Amazing Grace? Oh, so much. Um, <laughs> what we, we really think that the world is ready for uh, a more sustainable, plant-based uh, company that is creating products for this audience that wants to live better, right? It just It's not just their breakfast. It could be all throughout the day. And quite frankly, it's not, it's not just them, it's their family, right? It could be their parents, it could be their husband or, or, or wife, it could be their kids, it could be their colleagues. Um, and so we're really trying to build the product innovation pipeline around the needs of this person um, that is just trying to live better. Right. And, and and that's our goal. And that's just inspiring so many new things. We're coming up with, you know, a lot of products that are higher in protein, in fiber, again, all plant based. We're trying to become more and more vegan and, and re- more less reliant on, on any animal products. Um, we're trying to make our packaging even, you know, even more sustainable. We're trying to come up with plant based, um, you know, eating concept. And um, we're you know, moving into more countries where people are excited about our philosophy and what we do. Um, so, so there's just a lot in store and it's all driven by this vision of the world living better. Um, and that's it. That's just the only vision that I think is sustainable. What is a common misconception about starting a business that you would like to debunk? Um, that you have to raise money very early on or that you have to raise a lot of money. Uh, I think we don't talk about this enough. I think everyone's just uh, following the standard book or playbook saying you need to raise series D, you need to raise series A and B and all that. And everyone's just kind of getting crazy over the the huge amount of capital that's in the market at the moment. So I do think um, be firm with why you've started this business. It could be because you just want to do something for yourself. You want to benefit a small group of people. Um, and you're, you're very happy having a sustainable business that never makes it to the papers. 
Um, and that is totally okay and, and doable. And rather than everyone thinking that they need to become billion dollar companies. So, so yeah, so there's a huge cost, I think, when you're raising money at this speed and at the amount that a lot of people are, you need to deliver. And the, the weight on your shoulders um, of, of, of uh, you know, raising this much money and delivering that performance is, is stressful. Um, so, so yeah, so I think be firm with your values and why you created the company. It's easy to, um, get lost in the, in the venture capital jargon of all these growth and, 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 and multiples and everything, right. We just lost our way. Um, Hey, so what if you didn't grow as much as you were supposed to last? I mean, who defined those yardsticks anyway? Um, okay, you didn't grow 300%. Oh, wow, you feel really bad now. You know, I, I just think we just need to really have a conscious conversation about why we're starting businesses. Yeah, I think that's um, just um, yeah. the downside of yeah. social media. Like as much as, as much as we love highlighting and celebrating uh, milestones, but sometimes the comparison game really kills you. And like you said, wh- who who is measuring the yardstick? You know, like who are you comparing yourself to? Who are you like need to be better than? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And you push your people over the edge, you burn, you burn bridges, right? So, yeah. So my final question for you today is what has this journey taught you about yourself so far? Yeah, I, the, this journey has taught me that actually life is really short. Um, you know, I, I mean, six years has passed really fast. And sometimes I feel like we've done a lot. Sometimes I also get you know, swiped into the lingo. I'm like, oh, we didn't grow enough and, and everything. But um, yeah, in, you know, don't live in the future because I find myself sometimes going, oh, the future will be X, Y, Z. Like, yes, that's all good, well and good, but don't always live in the future. Really enjoy every day that you have now and even the struggles that you have now. The struggles that we've had over the last six years and even today um, defines, makes us better people. Um, We are hustlers. We are expert hustlers as a result of having no resources for the longest time. And um, I think it's not a bad thing. I think it really made us um, much more tougher um, and creative in coming up with solutions. And so I, I am appreciative and grateful of every single challenge that we've come along the way. And I don't ever want to be in a position where there's no problems ever and there's no challenges and resources was not an issue. Um, I, I just think you lose, you lose sight, you know, you just won't be. Um, so no struggle is bad. <laughs> if I can sum it up, I appreciate struggles. You have just listened to Amy's story on Foodie Canteen. This show is produced by me, your host, Castle Lim, and written by Sulin Chang. Foodie Canteen Podcast is made possible by the excellent team at Good Foodie Media. Check us out on Instagram, Facebook, and YouTube at Foodie Canteen for more. Follow us for brand new episodes every Friday. Thank you for listening.